Welcome to Global Dispatches, a podcast about world affairs and the people who shape it. I'm your host, Mark Leon Goldberg, editor of UN Dispatch, and in this show we discuss topical global issues and have in-depth conversations with personalities in foreign policy. Global Dispatches is presented in partnership with Humanity in Action, an international educational organization, and I am a Humanity in Action senior fellow. In Kazakhstan this week, the International Atomic Energy Agency is opening a new facility that will serve as a bank for low-enriched uranium. This facility, known as the LEU Fuel Bank, and its opening is the result of over a decade of work by my guest on the line today from his office in Georgia, former U.S. Senator Sam Nunn. Now, the idea behind the bank, which Senator Nunn explains in detail, is basically this. Countries that want to use civilian nuclear power must either build their own enrichment facilities or must purchase enriched uranium on the open market. The concern with the former is that facilities that enrich uranium for civilian purposes could also be used to enrich uranium for a nuclear bomb. The bank is basically an insurance policy to dissuade countries from wanting to build their own enrichment facilities because if for some reason the market is disrupted and supplies cut off, the country can get their fuel from this bank, which stores enough fuel, I should say, to power a mid-sized city for about three years. Senator Nunn is co-chairman of the NGO The Nuclear Threat Initiative. For years, The Nuclear Threat Initiative has been working behind the scenes to set up this bank, and they got a big boost when Warren Buffett pledged $50 million to the cause. And in this conversation, Senator Nunn tells me the story behind the LEU Bank and why its advent is such an important boon for international security and nonproliferation. And, and I should say, Senator Nunn has had a long track record of supporting nuclear non-proliferation, even before he became president of the Nuclear Threat Initiative. While a senator in the 1990s, he, along with Senator Richard Lugar of Indiana, uh, created this really important framework for securing nuclear material from post-Soviet states. This is called the Nunn-Lugar Act, and it was a really important framework for denuclearizing uh, countries of the former Soviet Union, and it was you know, widely heralded as being an important contributor to global nonproliferation efforts to this day. Anyway, he references the, the, the Nunn-Lugar Act in this conversation, so I wanted to give you that background. Okay, now here is my conversation with Senator Sam Nunn right before he caught a plane to Kazakhstan for the opening of the LEU Fuel Bank. Looking for a trustworthy podcast to bring you unfiltered viewpoints and experiences on global health? Tune into Global Health Matters, the podcast that connects silos and amplifies diverse voices to give you a holistic picture. Each month, Dr. Gary Aslanian from the World Health Organization hosts discussions with guests spanning former ministers of health, award-winning journalists and authors, and frontline public health workers. Join listeners from across 180 countries for an exciting Season 4, launching in June. Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. Just feel free to let me know when you have to go. I, I, I don't want you to miss your plane to Kazakhstan. You, you have important things to do. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm okay. So just to, to kick off, um, can you just give me a brief science lesson? Like what is low enriched uranium as opposed to highly enriched uranium? The low enriched is not dangerous uh, unless it's taken to a much higher level of enrichment. But the enrichment process itself, 
for low enriched and high enriched is basically the same. The science behind it, the techniques and so forth. So when someone or some nation goes into a low enrichment program, then they also have uh, the capacity and capability to take it to a high level, which becomes material that is weapons usable. So that's why this whole chain is so important. And the proliferation of enrichment is uh, basically a extremely dangerous development in the world. And, and and so the idea behind the bank is to have a store of low enriched uranium, that is uranium that cannot be used for bomb, uh, but is usable for civilian uh, nuclear technologies. That's correct, Mark. Uh, as I view it, it's an insurance policy. It's a backup to the marketplace. It's not a replacement of the marketplace, and it may not be used very frequently. But uh, to me, it's like uh, having an insurance on your house and complaining because you didn't collect it and because you didn't have it burned down by fire. Uh, this is a backup. It's psychological because we want to encourage nations that are willing to move in the direction of of uh, more relying on the marketplace. We want to not only encourage them, but we want to give them assurance that if for some reason the marketplace turns against them and breaks down, they will, uh, if they are in compliance with their non-proliferation treaty obligations, including the safeguards agreement, if they uh, meet those uh, criteria, they will be eligible to draw fuel from this bank. They'll pay market prices for it. The fuel will be replaced, so it will be a cycle, and we'll always have a supply of fuel there as a backup. So this is a psychological backup uh, for the marketplace. So what what sort of things could interrupt the supply of low enriched uranium that a country might need to fuel its nu- uh, its uh, nuclear power plants? The actually the world market works pretty well. Uh, but countries sometimes use the excuse that they've got to have a guarantee supply to go into their own indigenous re- re- enrichment. That uh, for a country that is uh, going into civil power, that is that enrichment process is enormously expensive, and their own citizens and their news media ought to be asking questions. Why do you need it? And particularly, we think this will reinforce those who want to ask those questions within a country. Now, countries have a sovereign right to enrich, uh, as they interpret it. Most countries interpret it from the non-proliferation treaty language. Uh, some people disagree with that interpretation, but nevertheless. We see, from example, when you have countries like Iran and North Korea uh, that have developed their own enrichment process, the kind of dangers that can produce. And one element here is um, how nervous neighbors get, neighboring countries, when uh, countries embark on an enrichment program, even though they say it is for peaceful purposes. And so this can be a contagious disease that everybody believes they've got to have enrichment and uh, the world gets a heck of a lot more dangerous if that happens. So that's what this concept is all about. Uh, Marcus has been around for quite a while, the concept. It just never has been uh, implemented. So we at the Nuclear Threat Initiative are proud that we have, uh, with Warren Buffett's great help, we've helped kick off a process where this uh, dream for years becomes a reality. So so let, let's talk about where this idea came from and how you guys have implemented it over the years. It's something I've, I've followed uh, for many years. I write a blog that's supported by the United Nations Foundation, which is you know a Ted Turner project. I know NTI is also a Ted Turner project. Uh, and so I've, I've followed this uh, from afar for, for a while. Um, but I would love to learn just the story from you of how this idea, which you said had been floating in non-proliferation circles for many years, actually uh, came to life. Like, what was the, the key moment? How, how did this, this come to be? 
well, don't hold me to the exact year, but somewhere in the 2005 uh, time frame, Charlie Curtis, who was former Deputy, Deputy Energy Secretary here in the U.S., and I were having a conversation in preparation for a meeting with Director Al Baraday. I was on the program in London. This is Mohammed Al Baraday, the, the former uh, IAEA right. head uh, and Nobel Peace correct. Prize winner. Yeah. Mohammed Al Baraday, who was a former uh, director of the International Atomic Energy Commission. And we uh, were talking about ideas that we might uh, talk to him about. And uh, Charlie mentioned to me this idea that we had discussed before of a fuel bank. And so when we were with the director in London, we posed the question whether that was still something the IAEA would be interested in. And if so, uh, would he uh, be receptive to us working with him on the on the concept? And his answer was an enthusiastic yes, he would be interested. He thought he could make a lot of difference. He told us at that time, I think there were 20, 25 countries that were uh, working with the IAEA about the possibility of developing their own civil nuclear power. So they needed this tool in the arsenal of, of IAEA tools, and uh, we went back and started thinking about it, and I had known Warren Buffett well. Uh, he supported what we were doing at NTI, and I had also gotten to know him very well on the board, Coca-Cola board. We were both directors there. And so I talked the idea over with him, and then to try to make the long story short, it evolved over time, but about a year later, I was uh, in um, Vienna and about to again go see Director Al Baraday, and I was going to talk to him about this idea, and I decided to call Warren Buffett and see if he would give me the backing to go in and make a proposal directly to the director. So this is where it came from. We had a, Warren and I had about a 10-minute conversation. I was on a a bench sitting out of the soccer hotel in Vienna. And uh, I, we had never talked about the amount of money. He, Warren asked me, he liked the concept. He said, how much money would be involved to really make it effective? I said, well, if if you would uh, uh, guarantee 50 million uh, and uh, it would be a match and get the world to match you one to one, that would be a powerful proposition if I was authorized to make that uh that kind of proposal and he said let's uh, let's make it two to one match and so i said that sounds great to me and so in i marched and we talked to director alberti about it uh he liked the idea again very uh much and it all started right there about six months eight months later sometime when that time frame uh it got to be a much more proposal a more formal proposal because i uh, addressed the board of governors of the international atomic energy agency and made the uh, commitment on behalf of Warren through NTI very explicit. I, I love the idea that one 10-minute uh, phone call with Warren Buffett could yield uh, $50 million towards this kind of uh, really like innovative but but really kind of out there idea at, at the time. I love that. Well, that, uh, he makes decisions quickly, but believe me, he understands the concept before he makes that kind of decision. He had mulled it over. He thought about it. He's in the risk of business. He knows that you're not going to cut out all risk, but uh, he's in the insurance reinsurance business, and he's uh, big on reducing risk. And that's what that's what this effort's all about. That's what NTI is all about: is trying to reduce the risk of any kind of nuclear explosion anywhere in the world for any reason, uh, and get the odds down as as much as we possibly can. So, so you you, you got that uh, fifty million dollar pledge from Warren Buffett, and then if I recall correctly, like a bunch of other governments got on board to to match that as well. Like the United States government at the time, I remember made made a big pledge, and, and others as well. 
Yes, Mark, I've learned here that it takes quite a while to get an international agreement from an idea and a concept uh, to a proposal to uh, a reality. And there were a number of stages here, and raising the money was the first stage, uh, getting that two-to-one match. But countries like Norway and UAE and Kuwait, the EU and the United States and Kazakhstan all uh, were very generous. And uh, we ended up with uh, a little, I say, somewhat over the $150 million goal, and uh, that was the first stage. The second stage was finding the right location for it to be housed, and I had uh, posed this uh, sort of as a hypothetical to President Nazarbayev. I had gotten to know him during the non-Luger days where Kazakhstan led the way on getting rid of their nuclear weapons uh, after the Cold War, and so I asked him if he would be receptive to thinking about it if the IAEA uh, decided that Kazakhstan was the right location. And so it went from there, and uh, the IAE did, did decide that uh, Kazakhstan was the right location. They set the example in many ways for nonproliferation, not only getting rid of their weapons, but uh, they were the fourth largest nuclear arsenal in the world after the Soviet Union broke up. But they also worked hard to get rid of their highly enriched uranium, the weapons usable material. And we at NTI had worked with them on that. So I had gotten to know the president pretty well, and I was delighted when he was receptive and the IAEA decided to uh, focus on Kazakhstan as the host country. And, and so you are uh, this afternoon going to head to Kazakhstan for the launch and the opening of the, the fuel bank. So can you describe sort of what, what the facility is like and, and how it will work in, in practice? Uh, this mark is located, this facility, and I'm, I've seen pictures of it. I haven't seen the completed uh, buildings, uh, but it is located at uh, Ulba Metallurgical Plant, where it was formerly used for uh, basic um, uh, nuclear uh, enrichment purposes. In fact, I visited, when I visited there, they, they Kazakhstan had the last of their highly enriched uranium in rods, and we saw those as they were in the process of uh, getting rid of that material, blending it down. And so it is a, a facility, an industrial facility in Kazakhstan that um, has been used for nuclear purposes for a long time. So uh, it checked out very well from the IAEA point of view. They did all sorts of seismic uh, and other safety and security measures. They did a lot of coordination. That took several years, really. And so that important phase uh, passed all the bars and uh, they proceeded to launch the buildings and the buildings are now complete and as I understand it they are ready to receive uranium when the purchases are made by the uh, International Atomic and Energy. So, so it's basically just like a, a, a big warehouse that's obviously safe and, and secure and can house this low enriched uranium and and uh, you know that the uranium could then be shipped if it's need, if need be at, at some future time. Correct, and it's a, it's a big warehouse with a lot of security around it. So, so can I a ask about the role of this bank in you know global security? So, you mentioned the uh, Iran nuclear deal earlier, and you know one of the the challenges with with the Iran nuclear deal was you know that that Iran, as as you mentioned earlier, you know has a sovereign right to enrich their own uranium for civilian purposes. The question, the debate between the United States and and the rest of the world in Iran was that you know they were worried that Iran would enrich them to the point where they would be weapons usable, that high enriched uranium. So the idea of, of this fuel bank presumably could um, obviate the need for a country like Iran to want to enrich its own uranium. Well, that's right. Uh, 
no one could guarantee that if this bank had been in existence 10, 15, 20 years ago that we wouldn't still have uh, Iran. There are a lot of political and regional circumstances that give countries an appetite for going into enrichment and bomb making. Same thing with North Korea. But we, I think we can say pretty confidently that with, uh, say, 15, 20, 25 countries looking, exploring the possibility of civil nuclear power, with the pressure on from global warming and trying to have uh, less carbon being discharged in the atmosphere, I think nuclear is still going to be here to stay, even with solar and wind, which I vigorously support. You've always got to have a base load. So uh, I think uh, if you say 20 countries are thinking about enrichment and ends up four or five of them decide they are going to actually have civil power or eight or ten of them over the next 20, 30 years, I think this bank will be a big tool uh, to basically give those countries the assurance that if they do decide to rely on the marketplace, if they do decide not to have their own indigenous enrichment, they will uh, be able to make sure their investment is protected and they will have an assured uh, supply of fuel. Now, the marketplace isn't likely to break down very often, but if it does, they can go to the bank. If they have uh, been fully compliant with their safeguard agreement, which is also supervised by the IAEA, they will be eligible. They can purchase the um, fuel rods from the bank, the LEU, uh, have it made into actual fuel, depending on the type of reactor and the demand. And then uh, they will, of course, uh, be receive those shipments. So the other uh, wrinkle that, that sounds like it could be done quickly, but it took time, was to get transit rights uh, granted to the IAEA from both China and Russia, so that rail shipments of that kind of low-enriched uranium could take place across their countries if needed. And so the fuel bank would be rotating. It would be replenished because it would not give away the fuel. It would basically charge for it and replace it uh, on a continuing basis as needed. And and currently, if countries have uh, civilian nuclear capacity, but they don't have their own enrichment facilities, what where do they buy them from? Where Where do they buy their uranium from? Well, the marketplace is not broken down so far, but there's always a country's fear of intimidation. And since there are not many suppliers uh, having unreasonable demands that, from their perspective. Uh, but I think there's a, a broader psychological purpose here. I think the news media and the countries that are thinking about civil power as well as the public opinion will more likely raise the question with uh, this fuel bank in existence, why do we need our own? Why are we going to spend X number of billions of dollars to develop enrichment, make our neighbors nervous when we have both the marketplace, which is normally reliable, and also a backup guaranteed by the uh, international agency? So that's that's kind of the psychology. But to have that psycholo psychology uh, uh, actually work, I think you have to have a real fuel bank, and that's what this is all about. And and so what what are you going to do in Kazakhstan? What's what's your uh, your plan, your itinerary? Well, Kazakhstan's having an expo, so we're doing, uh, on Sunday, we're doing a good bit of uh, touring of the expo. They've done a, a great job there in Kazakhstan. The USA has an exhibit, as do many other countries. And then we'll be meeting with uh, both uh, El Barade and um, also um, Amano, his successor, who is now head of the IAEA. Yeah, Yuki Amano, the, the current director yeah, general of the IAEA. That's right. That's right. And then we'll have a number of meetings with uh, uh, the Kazakhstan officials and including President Nazarbayev and the foreign minister. And then I believe we're Ernie Moniz and I, who is now former Secretary of Energy of the U.S. and now a partner here with um, 
and with, with me as, as the CEO of um, the Nuclear Threat Initiative. So Ernie and I will be uh, very busy for the next two and a half days. The actual official ceremony, I believe, is around two o'clock Tuesday afternoon Kazakh time. Well, I mean, it's got to feel good, though, right? To to, to have this very, you know, symbol, very you know, important accomplishment. I know you've been working on this for for over a decade, and and here it is. Well, that's right. And uh, Ted Turner gets a lot of credit for coming up with the whole idea of NTI many years ago. And, of course, Warren Buffett gets uh, a whole lot of credit for his uh, uh, vision as well as his, gener- his generosity, as willing as, as well as his um, bold decision. And, of course, uh, major credit is due to both uh, Director El Baradai as well as uh, his successor, Director Amano, and the whole uh, team at IAEA is well as the donor country. So a lot of people to thank here, but underscoring the international cooperation, I think is pretty important with all the problems we've got in the world today. Uh, I say we are in a race between cooperation and catastrophe. And uh, there are a lot of bad news on the scene, but this is the uh, good news that uh, it shows you pretty vividly what the international community can uh, accomplish if they work together. And, and, and I got to say, I would give you some credit for this Senator having, having watched this from afar. Well, I've been proud that every now and then we get things done in an, an NGO, well-funded NGO, and we have been well-funded. We're lucky for that. So, I've been um, I've been gratified in my leadership role at NTI, and we've had a terrific team working on this. Uh, we've got folks that have had a lot of experience in the Department of Energy and Department of Defense, and so the, it's a team effort. Well, I know you have to go catch a plane to Kazakhstan right now. So let me just say thank you. Thank you for speaking with me. And thank you for this contribution to you know our collective security. This is, this is great to see this come to life. Thank you, Mark. I appreciate very much your interest and your focus, not only on this issue, but on so many important issues. All right. Thank you, Senator. All right. Thank you all for listening. Thank you to Senator Nunn for fitting me in before he caught a plane to Kazakhstan. And I should say, I hope to speak with Senator Nunn in a future conversation that takes a deeper look at the roots of his commitment to nuclear issues and, and nonproliferation. I'd love to learn where, where it all comes from. All right. We'll see you soon. Bye. The views and opinions expressed in the podcast are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the policies or positions of Humanity in Action.